Hello, and welcome to the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Her goal for the show is to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism because we really do want to create a world where racial equity exists for everyone. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC, and I wanted just to invite you as you are listening to the show to really take note of what your questions are. If you are listening live, please make sure that you send in your questions because you can find us on YouTube, streaming at talkradio.nyc, and put your questions in the chat so that we can answer those questions on the show. It is important for us to hear your voice. It's important also for you, even after the show, to leave your comments and your thoughts, because if we are going to move forward, we need to have dialogue about the things that we hear day to day, but particularly on the show. Today, we're talking about something that is really powerful, not just for um, us understanding our past and being educated about our past, but really what do we do to reconcile our past. But before we get into our discussion today, as always, I want to invite us just to center ourselves and take a moment to ground ourselves for the conversation that we're going to have today. And I want to invite you that at any point in time, the conversation becomes too heavy for you, go back to the meditation that we're doing today. Go back to finding your breath, because I understand that there are times we talk about things on the show that are triggering. And as we've talked about on uh, one of our previous shows, trauma exists within the body. And because it exists within the body, we have to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. So I know if we're talking about racism, whether it's in the past or currently, often things trigger us. So go back to your breath, go back to understanding and knowing who you are and just breathe through it. So I want to invite you, if you will, just for a moment to close your eyes, Plant your feet solidly on the floor. If you happen to be outside, place them on the ground. And then I want to invite you just to take a deep breath in and hold it. And then just release it really slowly. Take another deep breath in and hold it and release it. And then just begin to breathe normally. Connecting your breath with your divine wisdom, your power source. Breathe in and out, knowing that you are capable of dismantling racism. You are powerful beyond belief. And what you do matters. Just take a deep breath in and out. Connecting with other folks on this planet who are engaged in this work. As you're breathing in and out, think about the people that you know personally who are engaging in this work. Feel their energy. Connect with them. Recognize that you're not alone. And now breathe in and out, connecting with the people that you don't even know personally, but you know they are engaging in the work. Connect with them energetically. Connect with their power. Just continue to breathe in and out, enlarging your circle of connectedness by connecting with the ancestors and those who came before you who were engaged in this work. People of all colors, of all ethnicities, of all faith, 
throughout the world. So just connect for a moment in this vast circle of humanity with all the individuals that you can learn from them, you can gain strength from them, hope, determination, commitment, and faith. So just breathe in and out. Celebrating each of those individuals and giving gratitude for each of those individuals. Just breathe in and out, always remembering your breath, your power. Allow it to ground you in this moment. Now take a deep breath in, recognizing that the power of one contributes to the power of community and you have the power to change the status quo. Now take a deep breath in, sigh it out, and let's begin. Today, we are going to be talking about how to reconcile a lynching. In the late 19th century and early 20th century, Ida B. Wells, a journalist from my hometown in Holly Springs, Mississippi, wrote about the lynchings that were occurring across these United States of America. There are over 4,400 lynchings that have occurred on these grounds of the United States. Brian Stevenson, in recent years with the Equal Justice Initiative, has talked about these lynchings and has been instrumental in starting um, a lynching memorial. Now, you might say, why do we need to have a memorial? Why do we need to even remember our past? Because there's no way of reconciling our past unless we remember. My guest on the show today is going to be talking about how do we reconcile a lynching and remembering people like Alonzo Tucker, who in 1902 was lynched in front of 300 spectators, including children in Coos Bay, Oregon. How do we reconcile something so heinous? How do we not understand that the remnants of that lynching and, and the remnants of over 4,000 individuals who were hanging from trees, folks watched that happen. How do we not understand that that still impacts us today? The trauma associated with that, the people who witnessed that, the little children who witnessed that and carried that in their bodies, carried that in their minds about what they thought about Black people even what they thought about white people who could do such a thing. What trauma did that instill in them? What terror did it instill in black people? People who were lynched simply for walking down the street, for saying something to white children whose parents perhaps thought that they shouldn't have said what they said to them for all kinds of foolish reasons. So we may think that that lynching is in the past, but it is not. We know from Michelle Alexander, who talks about the new Jim Crow, she talks about mass incarceration as being a semblance of Jim Crow. But our guest today, Taylor Stewart, actually talks about lynching as it relates to death row. Oh, it is still alive and well. 
So today on our show, we're going to be talking about how to get to the point of reconciliation. Is it possible? Taylor Stewart thinks so. Taylor is a graduate from the University of Portland. And he graduated in 2018 with a degree in communications and a master's in social work from Portland State University in 2021. He is a dynamic young individual who understood that his voice matters. And you will hear all about what he's done, with, not only with his voice, but with his actions. Taylor started the Oregon Remembrance Project in 2018 to help communities unearth stories of injustice and engage in the necessary truth-telling and repair required to reconcile instances of historical harm. I want us to understand that this work of reconciliation is deeply rooted in how we get to dismantling racism. Because if we don't understand that we need to remember, if we don't understand that repairing is about more than just taking a course on dismantling racism, which of course I invite us to do, but it is about the deep work of repairing and reconciling. And we'll talk about the third R in there. I want to invite you, if you would, to be sure to listen to Taylor's TED talk on how do you reconcile a lynching. Because he talks about Alonzo Tucker, but how a particular community went through the process of reconciliation. Taylor invites his audience to join him in repairing in order to help, in order to help just a little bit reconcile a lynching. We must do it one step at a time. So I want to welcome to our show, Taylor Stewart, and we're going to welcome Taylor, and then we're going to take a really quick break. Taylor, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. I thank you for being up so early this morning to join me for the show. Oh, thank you. I'm here in Portland, Oregon, and I couldn't be happier. And, and I'm so delighted that you're bringing your energy so early this morning. And I just want to say before we go to the break, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for stepping up to say that your voice matters and to do something to repair what has been done to our ancestors and to repair communities that are hurting in this profoundly, um, in this profound way, actually. And I think what you're doing shows us that we don't have to live with the guilt and shame of our past in a way that keeps us stuck, but moves us to action. So when we come back, I want to hear all about the work that you did in Coos Bay, as well as some of the other work that you are doing with communities. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you 
you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. We're back with the Dismantle Racism show. My guest today is Taylor Stewart, who has been working with communities in Oregon, helping them to reconcile uh, their past in more ways than one. Before the break, we were talking about specifically around lynching, but there are some other things that Taylor is doing as well. But Taylor, before we get started with the work that you are doing, I know personally how demanding this work is. And one of the things that I always love to start out with is a question around um, how do you stay grounded in doing this work? Because not everybody is happy when they see us coming and when we want to talk about race. So what do you do to balance out the difficulties with doing work around racial equity and dismantling racism and healing? You know, for me, I've learned that taking care of yourself is just as important as doing the work. I've been doing this for about four years now. And I've also learned that sort of my personal happiness is, is, is my responsibility and that it takes, it sounds a little counterintuitive, but it, it takes work um, to be grounded, to be happy. And so I'm, I'm a very simple man. I care about four things in this world, race and racism, NBA basketball, U.S. national news, and R&B. Uh, so those four things uh, are, are my passions. And having hobbies like sports and, and outlets like music are really what would keep me balanced. It sounds a little silly, but I actually have a more difficult time during the, the, the NBA offseason staying balanced balanced to doing this work. So luckily that's the summertime uh, and I'm able to enjoy sort of time with friends and family, but I've learned the importance of not trivializing these hobbies because they are intrinsically important to you actually being able to do the important work during your, your regular, regular uh, sort of life. Yeah, I so agree with you. And you know what? Thank goodness for music and for R&B because you can have access to that anytime you want to. So um, I'm I'm often inspired by music. You know, uh, Taylor, when I think about you, um, I think about the fact that you've chosen, because it is a choice to answer the call, to engage in this work as a young person. And I think about Dr. King. You know, Dr. King was 26 when he was elected as president of the Montgomery um, Improvement Association to lead the bus boycott. Now, when I think about myself at 24, or even when I think about myself at 28, yes, I was focused. I think I was getting my PhD at, at that age, but I don't know that I would have been thinking about leading a cause or leading a community. And so I admire when young people step up to the plate and say, I'm going to do this. So talk to us a little bit about what got you started with doing this work. You know, I it's it's funny you mentioned the, the Dr. King uh, being 26. Uh, so he was elected president of the Montgomery Improvement Association on December 5th, 1955. And I was actually born 40 years later to the day on December 5th, 1995. 
Um, and so I've always felt a connection to that date in particular. And I remember when I was young, it was important for me to know that Martin Luther King was also young and that I could see myself doing that work despite my age. And so what really got me started doing all of this work was a civil rights trip I took to the American South in 2018. We went to Alabama, Mississippi, and Arkansas. I had especially been looking forward to the portion of the trip where we'd be going to Montgomery because I was a big fan of Brian Stevenson and the Equal Justice Initiative. In 2018, the Equal Justice Initiative opened up two museums in Montgomery. One was called the Legacy Museum, which chronicled the link between slavery and mass incarceration with the belief that slavery didn't end in 1865, it just evolved. That museum helped me see the through line of our historical injustice to many of our present day racial disproportionalities. But as you mentioned earlier, the other museum that the Equal Justice op Initiative opened was the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, the Lynching Museum. When you enter the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, you're met with these six foot high pillars that have the name of the state, the name of the county, and then the names of everyone who was lynched in that county. This museum took what had always felt like this abstract history and had it personalized with the names of people who were lynched in this country. What was most meaningful for me was seeing names with the last name Stuart, knowing mm -hmm. that simply time and place separated me from the name on that pillar. And I've lived in Oregon my entire life, and I couldn't believe that I had to go all the way to Montgomery, Alabama, just to learn that there had been at least one widely documented lynching of an African-American here in Oregon. And so I was so moved by this encounter with history that I wanted to share it with others. Mm. And luckily, in conjunction with the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, the Equal Justice Initiative also started what's called the Community Remembrance Project. The Community Remembrance Project aims to work in the communities where the lynchings of African Americans took place to find healing and reconciliation through a sober reflection on history. There mm. is an interest form online about getting involved in the Community Remembrance Project, and I would love to say that when I first saw that, I was immediately like, sign me up. How can I help, Brian? Mm. Um, but uh, in reality, I was too nervous to fill out the interest form. After all, this was the Equal Justice Initiative, and I was a recent college grad with zero relevant experience, and I figured to myself, who am I to really think that I could be of any help? So I decided that I wasn't going to fill out the interest form. Mm. But thankfully, two encounters from the rest of my trip inspired me to change my mind. The first was a quote from John Lewis, longtime civil rights icon and congressman from Georgia, who asked, if not us, then who? If mm. not now, then when? I don't remember where I was when I first read that quote, but I remember having that feeling inside of me where I was kind of like, mm. I was like, are you talking to me? <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't really like this feeling inside of me. You're like, mm, I'll think about it, John. The second thing was the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum. There, they just focused on Mississippi history, so there was no Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, Malcolm X, individuals who we kind of deify and are hard to relate to. Mm -hmm. Instead, the museum told the story of everyday Mississippians who did their part to pave the way for justice. And so there at the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum is where I learned that you don't have to be an extraordinary person to do extraordinary things. And so those two encounters gave me the courage to reach out to the Equal Justice Initiative. And here we are four years later. I, so, so I love that story because even as you're talking about it, so you are bringing up the fact, first of all, that we're not taught what we need to be taught about our history. That's one thing because you have to travel across the country to do that. The second thing that I, I heard you talk about that's really important is being present to what is happening in that moment and what you're experiencing and to continue to walk through what you're experiencing. Because to say that you you saw this the names and it resonated with you, but then fear stepped in. And so you decided that 
can't do it. But then you kept moving. And that's what I want our audience to know. You keep moving and keep listening to that voice that is inside of you. So that voice, when you got to John Lewis, said you have to do something, right? And then strategically, as it's not, maybe I shouldn't say strategically, but the way you ended up going through this, I think everything, as, as my friend Hillary would say, is a divine choreography, right? So then you go to that next phase. It kept building upon it. You got the tap to say, do this. And then John Lewis gave you another tap. And then you saw ordinary people do an extraordinary thing. And quite frankly, I think that that does make uh, us, we're, we're all extraordinary in some way is whether we use it or not. So I want to encourage our listeners to hear your process. You decided that you would do something because you kept getting the tap. And I just want to make that connection back to Dr. King, because we are coming up on Dr. King's um, holiday, that it is about doing the work that our ancestors started. So it is no small matter that you were born on, on the same day that he started a movement and that it spoke to you. Because I think the seeds are planted long before you ever walked into those museums, the seeds were planted. So I just want to acknowledge that, that you're answering a call and it's beautiful, it's wonderful. So then tell us, um, you know, I want to know what happened after you started things. But before we get there, who were you before you took the trip? You know, it's a good question. One of the reasons why I felt that feeling of who am I to really think that I could be of any help is I, for the vast majority of my life, was not concerned with issues of, of race and racism. Um, I actually grew up in a uh, sort of conservative white evangelical environment that very much shaped the way I interacted in the world. I tell people that I missed out on one of the most important days of my life in 2008 when Barack Obama was elected the first Black president of the United States because had I been old enough, I would have voted for John McCain and Sarah Palin. In 2012, I would have voted for Paul Ryan and Mitt Romney graduated high school, a registered Republican with the dream of becoming a tough on crime prosecutor. I used to be actually a passionate supporter of the death penalty. I gave a speech my junior year of college in favor of capital punishment, and I'm not that old, so that wasn't that long ago. People ask me what changed, um, and to be honest, there was no singular light bulb moment. There was no one argument, no one college lecture. It was a long two and a half ideological shift where I, I'd always cared about justice, but what changed was my understanding of injustice. Mm -hmm. And so when I do this work today, I tell people that I'm not trying to get people to see new values, but to see the values they already have in a new way. And I think that this perspective, the, the learning that I've undergone has really impacted my ability to help other people experience that same sort of transformation from, from learning about history. And so that is what inspired me to start this work in the first place is to simply do for others what was done for me. And that is what continues to motivate me in this work today. Well, it's interesting because I'm sure you must be received very well in your uh, in your hometown if it was very conservative and evangelical, because often we go and we gain new information, but there are lots of other people who don't have uh, that new learning. And so sometimes we're pushing up against folks. And so uh, while I would love to hear about uh, a part of that, that process, what I'd like to do when we come back from the break is I really want you to talk about your work on reconciliation and hone in on what you believe are um, the key components to doing that. So we have to take a break. And when we come back, we'll hear a bit more from Taylor Stewart. Stay tuned. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? 
Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with my guest today, Taylor Stewart. Before we um, start our conversation around reconciliation and lynching, I do just want to uh, invite you to go to any place that you stream your music and please download my meditations on dismantling racism. It really helps us to stay focused and grounded. So anywhere you do your streaming, you can find those meditations and they're in alignment with my book on dismantling racism. So I invite you to go take a, take a listen to those. So Taylor, we are back. And in your TED Talk, you talk specifically about three things that we need to do in order to reconcile a lynching. So if you would, I'd like to hear just very briefly, because I want people to go and listen to the TED Talk. Um, tell us what those three things are to help us get to that point of reconciliation. Yes, the question how do you reconcile lynching has changed my life. Uh, not to say that four years ago, I had the knowledge to answer that question, but what I did have and what I learned from, from those like Dr. King and those before me is to have the courage to ask these impossible questions and then being willing to search for an answer. And so over these last four years, I've learned there are three R words within this idea of reconciliation, remembrance, repair, and redemption. And that in order for us to get to that last R word of redemption, we need to have the courage it takes to undertake the first two. I believe that we can't change the past, but we can always change our relationship to it. History is a story. And importantly, it's a story that's not finished. It's ongoing, which means that you and I are in charge of the ending. And so I believe that there's a, a resistance to talking about these stories of historical injustice because people feel powerless to what has happened. But what I like to do is to try to give people the belief that they do in fact have power to control how those stories end. And so through the remembrance work and the ongoing work we have tried to elongate Alonzo Tucker's story that so that his story doesn't end in 1902, but it actually continues on into the 21st century through the remembrance work, the steps that we're undertaking to engage in repair so that we can hopefully one day bring him that semblance of redemptive justice because of this new ending that we've given to his story. Mm -hmm. All right, great. Thank you for that, because you're showing how important it is to remember, because most people 
don't want to remember painful things. And so what about that second step then? So we yes. remember. Then we repair. We have to put an end to the harm as it presently exists. In the case of lynching, I believe that we have to repair the fundamental question of who our society believes deserves death because the answer continues to be people that look like you and me. Mm -hmm. And that the value of our lives are tied up in this question too. Mm. I believe that you don't have to care about the people on death row to care about the death penalty. You just have to care about what their sentences mean to us. Mm. There is no greater determination of the value of life than the lives we are willing to take. And capital punishment has simply replaced lynching as the tool of that determination. And mm. so I help lead the efforts to end the death penalty in Oregon really focusing in on Alonzo Tucker's story, this legacy of lynching, and most importantly, the racial disproportionality that we see in capital punishment in the United States. I believe that there is no justice unless there's equal justice. Mm. And that the system that we depend upon to dispense the most ultimate form of justice is too flawed to produce anything but injustice. Mm. So, so I want you to speak before before you go too far, because I, I know the numbers um, in terms of the number of black people and people of color who are lynched in this uh, lynched in terms of uh, capital punishment. You said the words disproportionately, but I think people need to hear numbers because sometimes things are just words to folks. This is a moral issue that we're talking about. It isn't an intellectual issue. So tell us a little bit about what the numbers are in terms of who is um, sentenced to death row in this country. So actually at the same time that lynchings in the United States started to go down during the middle half of the 20th century, uh, state sanctioned executions were actually going up in a mere image of lynching statistics. Uh, during the 1930s, two-thirds of all executions across the United States were of African Americans. Between 1910 to 1950, while only making up 22% of the South's population, African Americans have accounted for 75% of all of those who were executed in that region. And today, African Americans make up 13% of the population, but 41% of those who are on death row and when we consider the fact that of that 41%, nearly all are African-American males, yeah, African-American males only make up 6.5% of our population, we have to ask ourselves, how do we get from 6.5 to 41%? Mm. And this history of lynching, I believe, is so foundational to our understanding of capital punishment today that we can't understand why we have this racial disproportionality unless we begin to look at this fundamental question of who our society believes deserves death and that mm. that's the only way we can truly go about repairing the legacy of lynching is by putting an end to that harm as it still presently exists in our society today mm, i love that i love that i love the remembrance and I love the repairing because you can't repair something that you can't remember and you can't repair something if you do not look at how our current day mimics our history. And it's so profound because most people just walk through the world just being, you know, in, in many ways self-absorbed and not caring about something unless it's directly related to their group. And even there are people of color who don't recognize those numbers that you're talking about. So you're requiring us to wake up and learn and become educated on how our country is still systemically racist and how that impacts a group of people. So now the third then part to reconciliation is? Redemption. Reconciliation is a narrative arc. And so we do the, the remembrance to understand the first part. We do the repair to understand what we're doing today. And then we envision this new future, a new ending to the story. One that I believe can help 
provide the semblance of justice to the end of the story. And so in the case of Alonzo Tucker, I don't believe that his story can end in any other way than a true affirmation of the value of his life. And mm -hmm. I believe that we can make that affirmation by using his story as the impetus to end the death penalty in Oregon. And so, you know, as Black Lives Matter fades from our lawn signs or social media, our hashtags, um, I believe that really now is the time to commit ourselves to, to, to true affirmation. It's easy to post a black square, mm -hmm. it's easy to go to the local park, but do we have the courage to, to give up something um, like the death penalty in our society? You know, it's hard to come up with an argument for why we should um, not sent, you know, there, there, there are understandable arguments for sentencing someone to death who has committed a heinous crime, but are we willing to get rid of that system as a whole because we understand that it can be so flawed? Um, mm. I believe is the sacrifice that is needed in doing this kind of racial justice work. I've mm. learned that doing this work cannot be done without sacrifice. Maybe That's it's right. comfortability, maybe it's certainty, but sometimes it is something systemic like mm -hmm. capital punishment that we do need to sacrifice to get to that more just country, that more just organ that I know we all want, but it just takes courage to get there. And, and I think that um, there's a sacrifice even to ourselves to really engage in this work, because what you're asking people to do is not be performative, performative in their ideas about racial equity, because I will agree with you wholeheartedly that, um, you know, at the end of, well, I shouldn't say at the end of 2020, and really after George Floyd was murdered, so many people had their Black Lives Matter uh, signs up and marching in the street. And then what happened towards the end of 2020 or even 2021? We don't see it as much anymore, but there is a call. And this calling is really a life calling to do this work. It may not be protesting, but it may be doing some of the work that you all are doing in your community there in Oregon. There are people um, I know in, in the towns that you've worked in who are really seeking to reconcile their past. And so I want to talk with you a little bit when we return from our break in a few minutes to find out what have been some of the things that you've done? Um, what was the final result really of uh, this work that you've done in Coos Bay where Alonzo was lynched and also there's other work that you're doing as well in the sundowning towns or people who've had a history of that. So when we come back from our break, uh, we won't have very much time, but I'd love to hear more about that. And again, Taylor, I just want to acknowledge the important work that you're doing by stepping up and stepping out into um, this new new journey, even though it's it's been about four years, but I appreciate the work that you're doing. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back um, to learn more about what you're doing. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? 
I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with my guest today, Taylor Stewart. Um, Taylor, there's so much I want to ask you about, but let's go first to what has happened in Coos Space since you decided that you were going to fill out that form and move beyond your fear and be one of those uh, everyday extraordinary people who are walking this planet. Yes, over the last four years, I've learned that ordinary people have the power to do extraordinary things by simply asking the question, why not me? And so that's the question that we started to ask in Coos Bay is, is, is not why me, but why not me? Why not us? Why can't we do this? And so I worked with the community of Coos Bay for three years to memorialize Alonzo Tucker February 2020, we held a soil collection ceremony near the spot of the lynching, and June 2021, we unveiled a historical marker in the community to memorialize both Alonzo Tucker and the thousands of other African Americans who were lynched in this country. And mm -hmm. actually, at the historical marker unveiling, I, I didn't tell anybody I was going to do this. I didn't even tell the Equal Justice Initiative. But I made my whole speech at that ceremony all about how we needed to end the death penalty in Oregon. Mm. And admittedly, I was a little bit nervous about how this would go over. Uh, Trump won Coos County by 11 points in 2020. So I was unsure how this, this message about doing something polit potentially political would go over. Um, and to my enthusiastic surprise, there was a, this message resonated with folks and mm -hmm. folks in Coos Bay were like, yes, this is the next step towards this work that we've been doing. We need to end the death penalty in Oregon. And mm -hmm. so that really was one of the most meaningful experiences of my life. And it really did teach me that no matter where you go, you can find enough people who are willing to choose justice if given the opportunity it's just a matter of getting them to see where there's been injustice. Well, so I, I I love that. And, and, and I want to just ask you something, because I think this is really important for our listeners to understand the process of just doing this work and being committed. Were there ever any times that you said, I should stop doing this, or you felt tired and weary and wanted to give up, but something propelled you to go on? Absolutely. Um, so the how what happened was, um, so when I actually first filled out that interest form via the Equal Justice Initiative, they got back to me um, a few months later and had given me uh, email addresses of three other people who filled out that same interest form. And I, you know, I had to work up the courage just to, to send the first email. I was like, I don't know how to do this project, but what I can do is, is get the ball rolling. Um, and then unsurprisingly, everyone was from Portland. Um, and I was like, that's still not helpful. I still know zero people in Goose Bay, Oregon. Um, and so we we sent we uh, met at a we have a, a restaurant chain in Oregon called Big Minimums. Um, and we met, met at one downtown. And I distinctly remember driving to that McMinimums thinking, I can't wait to meet who's going to lead this. <laughs> I, I then distinctly remember driving home like, oh, no, <laughs> what just happened to me? Um, and so I have constantly felt that that overwhelming feeling at the 
at the, the realization of who I need to become to do this work. I eventually made contact with the History Museum down in Coos Bay, and I traveled from Portland down to Coos Bay, and I, I thought I was going to meet with eh, five or six folks. Um, and then I walk into this room at a community college, and I see there's about 20 people in the room, and I think to myself, oh, a meeting might have just finished. <laughs> and then it dawns on me, no, no, they're here for you. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I distinctly remember closing the door behind me, looking at the door handle going, Lord help me. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I have constantly felt overwhelmed. The the, yeah. the first meeting down in Coos Bay, oh, it went great. People were excited. They're like, yes, let's do this. Uh, a month or two later, I make plans to go to another meeting in Coos Bay. And then out of the 20 something people who were invited, two people showed up. Mm. Mm. Uh, and that really was the the low point of this entire project. Um, mm. I figured I've just put a year of effort into this project and it's going to go nowhere. Um, I happened to be leaving dinner and I ran into someone who just couldn't make it. Um, and I had told them, I was like, you know, there is no way we're gonna get that historical marker. I don't even think we can do the soil collection. Mm. Um, and so, but, you know, with talking with folks, they're like, you know what, even if we don't have a lot of people, let's still do this. We, as a small group of people, even if it's 10 to 15, can do something to honor Alonzo Tucker. And so it really was that continuing what I set out to do is that I was going to memorialize Alonzo Tucker, even if no one else knew. And just by bringing that same, that spirit and that commitment, I was eventually able to find people that were like, no, this is something our whole community should be a part of. And so mm -hmm. I was able to meet particularly an old history teacher in Coos Bay named Steve Greif, who was truly inspirational in bringing that soil collection to the rest of his community. Mm. Well, I want to say this, um, just when we are about to give up, there's always, as I, as I quote in my book, a ram in the bush, somebody to inspire, somebody that helps us go the next mile. And what this says to me, Taylor, is that um, it just reiterate what I was saying in my meditation is that we are all interconnected and we are all connected with other people who want to do this work. There are people out here who are passionate about this and we are not alone. And so I just want to thank you for continuing to do the work. Now, we are down to the last few minutes of the show. And I just really, before we go, I know that you're doing work with sundowning communities, those uh, communities where Black folks were not allowed to be after sundown. And there were signs that are posted, you know, don't be caught here after sundown. What? Your work now is is connected with um, the Sunrise Project. Can you tell us in just about 30 seconds or so, uh, what is the Sunrise Project? Yes. So the Sunrise Project, we chose that name with the idea that sunrise is the opposite to sundown and signals the start of a new day. So similar to the story of Alonzo Tucker, we're looking to rewrite the ending to the story of a sundown town in create an ending where a formerly exclusionary community can become one of the communities most intentionally committed to inclusivity because of its history. What's exciting is we're looking to culminate much of this work in the installation of a historical marker, one side talking about racial exclusion in Oregon and Grants Pass, and the other side, which is the community we're working with, and the other side, a sunrise commitment statement for the community. So we're trying to take what was once a sundown town and create this vision of a sunrise community. And what's exciting is this historical marker that we're working on will actually be the first ever historical marker about sundown towns in the entire United States. And so the goal is to expand this work across Oregon and create a blueprint for communities across the country. The, I wish I could tell you that it was my idea to use the word sunrise, but that idea actually came from a 69-year-old white male truck driver from Grants Pass named Randolph. 
And All so right. That's See, what everybody I, my final takeaway is that I hope that people remember that this work is about bringing together ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Yes. Well, Taylor, I want to thank you again for being on the show. And I know that your sights were set on becoming a lawyer and then somehow the path kind of changed. But you are doing some amazing work and, and law school might still be a part of the future. Who knows? But the point that I want to make is what you've reiterated throughout this whole time. There's work for each of us to do on dismantling racism. We just have to take up the banner and be committed to doing it. And sometimes that means that our life course might change, but it will change for the better. And not only will it change for the better, we will be impacting lives in ways in which we never imagined we could. Taylor, how can folks get in touch with you? Yes, please find me uh, via social media on the Oregon Remembrance Project, uh, on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you can look up How Do You Reconcile Lynching on YouTube. You can find our website at OregonRemembrance.org. And please connect. Um, I would be more than happy to talk more about this truth and reconciliation work. As I said at the very start, my goal in all of this is to do for others what was done for me. My life was transformed by the question, how do you reconcile lynching? And I want to help you and your listeners also have that same opportunity to be transformed by the power of reconciliation. Mm, thank you so much, Taylor. We started the show with me talking about Ida B. Wells, Brian Stevenson, and now Taylor Stewart, who's doing some really amazing work around remembrance. And I just, again, want to thank you for stepping up to the plate. And we want to, as we are going into the Martin Luther King weekend, to really kind of think about what are the ways in which we can honor the legacy of all who have come before us? Because each and every one of us are standing on their shoulders, the people who sacrificed for us. So think about how you can do the work of racial reconciliation racial equity, and dismantling racism. Thanks again to my guest, Taylor Stewart, for being here today. And I want to thank each and every one of you for listening week in and week out. Please be sure to send us your comments and stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, who, how he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. May today you tap into that sacred part of you that allows you to make choices that will manifest your good while at the same time manifesting the good of those around you. Know that we are all one and exist because of one another. Make it a priority to share love, peace, joy, and compassion. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various Dylan. special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. on edge hey we live in challenging edgy times so let's lean in i'm sandra bargeman the host of the edge of every day which airs each monday at 7 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges that's the edge of every day on mondays at 7 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc 
Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 